Be it because you want to go to law school or med school, or because you want to access a domain that requires you to have a related degree, you may be headed back to the classroom after grad school. You'll probably be a much better student than you were before, and your motivation for studying and for completing your new degree will be much greater at this juncture. In today's episode, we'll be talking with Tamara Luke and hearing about how she decided to study law after her master's degree and how she navigated her way to the position she occupies today. Before we go on, and because this is episode 10, I want to make a special announcement. I'm officially launching the Papa PhD Patreon page. If you want to contribute and if you'd like to actually participate in the show, you can go to patreon.com slash PapaPhD and become a patron starting today. Your contribution will allow me to continue producing better and better content and interviewing great guests. Thank you for your support and welcome to the show. So today we'll be talking post-grad school careers with Tamara Luke. Tamara is a former scientist who left the lab bench for the law. After a master's degree in neuroscience, she went to law school to become a patent lawyer. But on her way there, she took unique and exciting opportunities that led her down a completely different path. She's now Director of Legal Affairs at an entertainment production company in Toronto. Welcome to the show, Tamara. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and about what you do in your current position. Sure. So, uh, you know, like you mentioned, I, um, we met when we were at McGill. I did my master's uh, of neuroscience uh, at the MNI. Um, I hadn't, I'm sure we'll get into this, I had sort of realized as I was going through my master's that I wasn't really cut out for bench work and lab work, and I wasn't really enjoying the research aspect of it. And I found myself struggling on what to do outside of an academic research-based uh, career. Um, and my uh, professor um, that I was doing my master's with, uh, uh, Tim Kennedy, he was the one who suggested to me, he was like, you know, there's this area of law called intellectual property. He said, you know, there's a subset of that called patent law. And there it's basically, you can still be involved in science. You still get to learn, like you still get to be involved, see other people's experience and all the cool stuff that's going on in science. Um, but you don't have to do the bench work. And I thought, oh, that sounded really good because I, it's not that I really love science and I love innovation and all the cool and sexy stuff that happens with science. Um, but I, I just didn't love doing the bench work. So I said, that sounds really cool. And I started to look into it and it sounded really interesting. So I decided I would not transition to my PhD. I would just finish up my master's and go to uh, take the LSAT and go to law school, which I did. And my 100% my intent going into law school was I was going to do IP, um, intellectual property, and I was going to be a patent lawyer, uh, which I started to follow through on. I summered an article that um, an intellectual property boutique firm in Toronto. And in uh, part of their biotechnology life sciences uh, patent group. Um, so spent some time doing that. And it happened to be just when I picked up what usually happens when you're articling is you're in part of the group. Sometimes you'll do rotations depending on the firm, but a lot of the time partners will send out emails to the articling students to say, I've got this um, file or this project that I need some help on. Can it, does anyone have time to help? And 
uh, I happened to get, we, one went out to our, our, all the Articlean students from one of the partners who was in uh, uh, part of the firm that does marketing and advertising law. And it was related to pharmaceutical advertising. Um, and it was for, she needed some research done for a conference that she was going to, or that she was presenting at. Uh, and it sounded really cool. I mean, like, uh, it was all about direct-to-consumer advertising and, and, and direct, uh, all the different types of pharmaceutical advertising that companies do, and it sounded really interesting, so I jumped on it, and it gave me the opportunity to work with this partner and work with her quite a bit on these marketing and advertising things, and it led to more projects coming my way from her, and we started working together very closely, and when I got hired back to work at this firm as a, you know, as a full-blown lawyer, uh, it was with her, and it that turned into me doing, you know, biotech patents to me becoming a marketing and advertising lawyer, um, which was really cool. I mean, a, a, a lot of the stuff I was working on was very current. I would see, I'd review an ad and then see it on TV the next day, um, which was something I kind of struggled with, with the research aspect that I was doing was, you know, a lot of the stuff I was working on, I realized it would maybe make if I was lucky, a sentence in a, in a big paper. Um, you know, I, there wasn't a lot of immediacy to, to the work I was doing. So I, I liked that, mark, you know, once I got into the marketing and advertising, one of the really things that I liked about it was the immediacy of seeing the work I was doing. Uh, so I stayed there for a few years and then made the switch to join um, a, a media company doing their marketing and advertising sales contracts. So, um, uh, and then I was there for a few years and I made transition from there basically um, because that was part of the entertainment industry. I got involved in all the things that go along with that, like production, um, talent rights, that kind of thing. And I made just recently made the switch into um, a production company in Toronto where for TV production. Uh, so now I'm the in-house legal counsel for that company. Um, so th that's, that's again, coming back to what you were saying, it's very interesting. So uh, what I, what I'm very curious about is how was, uh, you know, finishing your master's and, and then doing the, the leap to go to law school. How, how did that happen? Uh, was it simple? Did you have any worries? Um, so how was that experience of, of saying, okay, I'm finishing these studies and now I'm going into other studies. Sure, I'm hanging up my pipette and yeah. picking up a laptop, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, uh, sure. It was uh, a very uncertain time. I mean, I had I was taking it was a complete 180. Um, it, getting into law school itself um, wasn't that difficult. I mean, yeah, not that difficult. For, for me, mm -hmm. coming and with I, a master's, I guess you, you know. Yeah, that's right. And you, you know, the, I, I didn't get into all the schools I wanted. I did also apply in the states, um, but I got into enough, and I ended up going to the University of Ottawa, which I'm so thrilled I did. Um, and but I would say once I got once in law school, probably once the hardest thing is, um, you know, in science for you know, and in research, you're trained to be a critical thinker. So that part wasn't hard. What was difficult was the volume of the reading. This is going to sound really random and esoteric, but the volume of the reading, um, you know, arts, kids and political science, like sort of the more liberal arts feels they're used to reading volumes and volumes of, 
of pages uh, in one night for homework. Um, whereas in science, you know, every little word is important um, when you're reading a science paper or a science textbook. Every single word is important. There's not a lot of fluff or context. No, you can't you can't speed read. <laughs> exactly, you can't speed read, and so that was probably the biggest adjustment because. I was reading every single word and trying to, you know, internalize and make sense of it, which is hard to do when you've got 100 pages of reading for, you know, five classes <laughs> to do in each night. That was probably the, the hardest part about the transition. Um, but it's one of those things like, you know, you got the skills to adapt, so you can pick it up and you kind of make do and, and figure it out. Um, that's a very specific difficulty that I had. Um, but You know, all those things that I learned in, in grad school and science, like critical thinking, discipline, um, dedication, all of that came incredibly handy and was, I think, instrumental in my ability to finish and my success in law school and, and in private practice or like in the legal world. Cool. Writing also, I guess? Oh, for sure. Writing too. Absolutely. Writing for sure. And um, curiously, um, once you get into sort of practicing and uh, when you have to give presentations, presentations as well, um, you know, we're used in, especially if you're in research, you get up and you present your findings quite often. Um, presenting is something that often comes up when you're practicing uh, in my area. Uh, and one of the things I think also helps is uh, <laughs> in the science fields on PowerPoint slides, we don't clutter it with, whole bunch of text yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything's kind of brief and it's that makes it so much easier it's less of a difficulty for you to make powerpoint slide than it is i found with other people in the legal field who just fill up a powerpoint slide with text and you know your viewers just spend the whole time reading a slide instead and then yeah. and then they, they lose their their audience <laughs> exactly so you know all those things that you sort of like you know you pick up about how you do your research and how you present yourself and it all came in very uh, instrumental in in my sort of post post grad school life excellent and and you know once you had you know you said you talked with your supervisor uh, he he told you about uh, about intellectual property law how how did you deal emotionally with okay you know what i'm actually writing my my masters and not following through like my colleagues that are around me to my phd etc how was that and and uh, was it easy to find the motivation to finish and write up oh yeah uh, yes but partially because i had basically enrolled uh to start at, in law school in september i sort of finished up most of my bench work in The December before that. So I basically had, you know, nine months in which I had to crank up this thesis. So I had to be motivated to do it because I didn't want, I knew once I got in, once I started school again, and for sure writing would take the back seat. So you had, you had um, a, a hard deadline that you needed to. <laughs> basically. So I, you know, I had to dig deep and find that motivation. It, it had to get done. I had a hard deadline to come it up against. Yeah. And um, did you go through any doubts, you know, because I imagine, even from other people I've talked to, that there's kind of a, a kind of a mourning process that you can go through. Of you know what, I'm I'm leaving grad school earlier than I thought, but I, it feels to me that once you found uh, th this objective, that somehow you didn't have these doubts anymore. Yeah, that's that's right. I was just thinking about it. I mean, maybe there was a 
a little bit of warning, like, well, I'm just finishing earlier than I want and that most people do. You know, most people transition to a PhD and finish a PhD. But I think once I'd, you know, once things became clear that, um, you know, there could be a, a, a future for me in this field and, and once I'd got, you know, written Yale and gone into law school, once sort of things started to fall into place, those doubts and those, um, you know, that sadness kind of, you know, the mourning kind of just fell away and it was a whole new part of my life that was really exciting. Um, yeah, a little bit terrifying because uh, you really don't know what lies ahead, but it was, you know, I've always been a big proponent of just taking things one step at a time and I, I had this next step ahead of me and I was like, all right, this is going to be exciting. It's, it's, you know, I've got sort of some kind of clear path ahead of me. Um, and I, I really just started to get excited and motivated about a whole new chapter of my life uh, once that sort of thing sort of fell into place. Excellent. And and so you finished your master's, you you uh, did your thesis, and you went on to, to law school. So you went on to study again. Uh, and I imagine that, you know, you You had habits that you had gained throughout grad school that served you once you were in law school, but probably other habits that, that came afterwards. What main attitudes or principles have accompanied you throughout your, your study path? Because I am thinking some people might, might want, you know, really quickly, I want to get a job, I want to get into real life. Uh, mm-hmm. And you decided, you chose a path that meant studying for X more years. Right. And, and I imagine somehow, you know, you, in growing into that, that, uh, that path that you chose, uh, that, that there were lessons that you learned, that there were habits that you gained that have helped you. Yeah. Well, I think part of it was, I mean, in terms of that, that transition, like I know a lot of people are here to get out into the workforce and make, you know, make some money. And I, I was lucky enough to have a family who would support me on that one. Um, and I think the other part of it is, you know, taking, deciding to study longer as a quote unquote mature student, because, um, you know, I was a, probably three to four years older than everybody else in my law school, not everybody else, but most people in my law school class. I think one of the things that took, I took forward and now I'm, you know, for the same reason, three or four years older than a lot of people in my senior call is that I don't sweat the small stuff as much. Like, there, you know, being a more mature student, you have had the benefit of extra experience. So you know that there's, you kind of know not to split the small stuff, not to worry about, you don't need, you don't, you don't really waste time on the stuff that doesn't, doesn't matter anymore, if that makes sense. That's one of the things that is sort of kind of carried through throughout, especially in law school to some extent when I was practicing too. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. In terms of the stuff that's carried with me for the rest, I mean, it's, Post grad, I mean, I left grad school taking a huge plunge and taking a huge jump into the uncertainty, and I think that sort of carried through throughout law school and the rest of my professional career. I I think that's one of the things that has carried me is just to just embrace the uncertainty. Um, if it doesn't make if it for me, if it doesn't terrify, if a change doesn't terrify you, at least. A little bit it's not a change worth making <laughs> every career decision that i've made that has terrified me i'm going to say quite significantly has been one that's worth 
has ended up being one that's panned out that has been my worst taking. So like I think taking the plunge and sort of embracing uncertainty um, and taking a, a risk is is something that's important. Um, and, and that's something that sort of carried through post for me post grad school. So what I'm hearing is uh, the sentence that we hear often of, you know, you're going to gain more if you get out of your comfort zone. So that's correct. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, that's exactly right. It, if you push yourself out of your comfort zone, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of payoff out of that. And inertia is powerful. <laughs> so it's easy to just sort of stay with the same old or stay on. And, it, you know, if you've got a path, if you want to take the traditional path, I think that's totally cool. But there's a lot to be gained if you're not happy in that traditional path, so just pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, and it's terrifying, but it's, 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 in my experience, it's always paid off. It's always paid off. Cool. And so we're talking about getting getting a little bit outside of your, or a lot outside of your comfort zone. You talked before uh, about, uh, you know, adjusting to the, 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 the reading volume that, that, you, that you needed to process in law school. Uh, what about a, a little bit later in the, uh, you know, in, in your path when either you were finishing or actually when you were on the market for, for a job? I, you know, you, you said that you you had um, articling and, and, and internships that almost guided you towards where you are today. But can you give a, a couple of, of good examples to our listeners of moments where you felt, okay, I'm taking a leap and, you know, I'm feeling the butterflies in my stomach, but, you know, I'm going to push through and that then that, that paid off and that you, you're super happy today of having. Sure. Um, I think probably, uh, well, going to law school is the easy one, but I'll, I'll give more, uh, an example, which we haven't really spent, talked too much about when I, left private practice. Uh, so when I left the law firm, I was practicing at to go in-house at that media company that I uh, mentioned earlier. That was a big change where I, you know, I had a very good and comfortable job at my the law firm. I was working with great people. I loved everybody I worked with. I was doing, I was, I was getting really exciting work. Uh, but the decision for me to go in-house meant, um, you know, at a law firm, there's partners um, and they will, depending on the you know the firm or how involved they are, you know, there's a lot of review of your work, um, and there's always somebody, you know, the partner that you're working with to sort of fall back on. And you know, if you have a tendency to be more deferential um, and not as outgoing um, and putting yourself forward, it's easy to just say, not put yourself out there and um, you know, uh, be the shoot off an email to a client with your legal opinion without worrying about repercussions. It's easy to fall into sending a draft to the partner, having them review it and either them sending it out. So when I decided to go uh, in house, it meant there would be less oversight of me, which meant I was, you know, the buck stopped with me when somebody came to a question or wanted my opinion or wanted me to negotiate a contract. It, it was me that was going to do it. So it, I had a whole new amount of ownership. And that was part of why I decided to make a good portion of why I decided to make that change, because I knew it was totally outside of my comfort zone. Like that terrified me to know. And I was, I was just like, what, you know, what do I know? I'm just a baby lawyer. I, I, but I knew that if I stayed in my existing role, I would 
it would be years before I would either have the confidence to hit send by myself <laughs> or um, have the ability to do it. So making the change to go in-house and, as I said, it was less oversight, it, the buck stopped with me. And I, that was going to, I knew I would never gain the confidence unless I made that switch. And it was terrifying because, um, you know, you're moving into a company that you don't, you know, you're new to a company, so you're not as familiar with it. And also you're taking on this whole new realm of responsibility. Um, but it, like, I can't tell you how much that paid off. Like, um, I was there for two or three years and I, in those two or three, even less in the first year, I became a way better lawyer than, um, I ever imagined myself to have been if I had sort of stayed, stayed put. Um, and I'm a much more confident and assertive lawyer than I, I was sort of before I made that switch. It was um, a huge growth opportunity for me just taking that plunge and sort of embracing the terrifyingness of it. Mm -hmm. So would you, uh, would you advise young lawyers looking for a little bit more of independence and experience to, to, to look for these kinds of positions in maybe in smaller companies that, that where they, they would have, uh, like you say, less oversight and more responsibility. Yeah, if if you know everybody's everybody's different. Some people are more comfortable taking sort of a, a more graduated path like that rather than being shoved into the deep end. <laughs> um, I I just knew myself enough to know that I needed that shove in order to get there because otherwise inertia is a powerful thing, uh, like I mentioned before. So I do encourage, and I'm not just lawyers. I would think anybody. Like I think if you have a, an idea of where you want to be in your life um, and it involves um, you taking a bigger step and then a little bit more responsibility and being a little bit more visible and more accountable to your client or to your boss or to upper management. I, I do think it's important you seek opportunities that sort of push you out of your comfort zone uh, to, to get you there because, because otherwise, you know, especially in big corporations or big firms, like it might take you a while to get there. So I, I do encourage people to, to take a push. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And, uh, I, I, I'm curious about, um, again, when you transitioned and, and, um, when you chose, okay, this is the path I'm going to follow and I'm going to go to law school. Did you, uh, did you try and, uh, and, uh, you know, invite uh, people for coffee or, or have to have calls with people who were in the domain you wanted to work in, like a type of um, uh, informational interview, something like that? Um, not quite as formal as that. Um, I always think of networking as um, just, just sort of who, once you're in the industry, it's kind of like you, you, you've made connections with people your past and people in the industry so a, a lot of it is in terms of opportunity comes out as um, just kind of who unfortunately who you know and who you talk to but you know getting into the entertainment side of things I can't say I reached out to specific people in that field um, a lot of it just sort of came up by happenstance um, either through like I would see job boards or just um, you know, the position I'm currently in came out of, I was, I worked with a lawyer um, when I was at that media company. I worked at with a lawyer on the other side. He represented a lot of talent. 
um, that you know we were interested in that, that media company and because we'd worked together and you know it's kind of a small field when this position came up it's one of these things that just happened into my email box based on kind of past connections mm-hmm. and I never really think of networking people a lot of people always think of it as more formal like as you've described which is it which it is and, and, and that totally does work um, it's never been my style to be so formal a lot of it for me has just been um, more organic more organic that's it I've got you know people in context I've met all across you know throughout my life and hopefully they'll think of me if an opportunity arises and I would always think of them if an opportunity arises or I wanted to know more about a specific area. I, I always just think of it as a little bit more organic like that. Uh, okay, so let me turn the question on its head and and and, and ask you this. Um, you know, do you think people in your domain, uh, if they were approached by uh, students finishing uh, law school, let's say, uh, do you, do you think people would be prone to accepting uh, making you know having a twenty minute call or? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure, yes. Or so would you? Just, would you in this case? Absolutely, and I mean, I've um, I, I've taken calls from interested, you know, people who are looking for summer jobs, even if there's not anything available at the company or the firm that I'm at. You know, a lot of the time I get reached out from former, you know, students who are at that are graduates or in the law school I was at, you know, they'll find me on LinkedIn and they'll reach out to me and maybe they'll see if there's positions open. But even if there's not, I'm always happy to have um, a conversation with them or email exchange with them or coffee with them about, um, you know, how to, how to find jobs, how to make an, make the transition into private practice or, or in-house um, and sort of figure out what their, the next steps are. I'm always happy to have a conversation with people about that. And I think that's true for anyone in the field. Um, I, I know at all the other companies I've been at, you know, law students reach out all the time or um, people who are not even law students, people who are interested in going into law school, haven't gotten into law school yet, who are thinking about it, have reached out and be like, something I'm kind of interested in. You chat to me a little bit about your experience and it's either me or other colleagues and, and everybody's always happy to talk about their own experiences and help where they can. Absolutely. Excellent. Very cool. Uh, and I think, you know, for listeners uh, out there, uh, definitely, you know, if you're looking at a, at a career uh, that interests you, do reach out to people who either transitioned from where you are to where you want to be or who are in the industry that, that, uh, that interests you. And uh, people will, will always be happy to, uh, from my experience and, and uh, from my, what I've been hearing, will always be happy to share their experience and, uh, and uh, give back to a community where they came from or simply, yeah, or simply to help someone who's interested in, in, in this career and just wants to know a little bit more about the day-to-day and to and to actually hear what the person has to say about uh, how how they got there and uh, and uh, how they love what they do. Exactly, and you know, I think another sort of advice that I have for for listeners out there who are sort of grappling with what to do next, you know, they may not want to stay in academia. Is um, you know, yes, of course, reach if you're thinking about a certain certain area, reach out to to anybody, but. Also, talk to your peers, like, you know, not just in your lab or in your research group, like in your department or, you know, in other labs, 
chances are somewhere that there's somebody who's having the same thoughts as you and they might have a different take on maybe what they want to do and just talking about I sometimes it's hard to do because you're so stuck in the getting getting work done getting you know um, research done but you know just talking to other people outside around you like your peers um, and even in your friend group people have chances are somebody's also grappling with the same stuff and they have different ideas of what they want to do or have heard you know people doing what they different things so it's a good way to sort of mine your existing contacts because some chances are somebody's having the same like I said the same the same thoughts and might have a different perspective on it or different ideas or opportunities that they've heard about um, that might be viable or might interest you yeah yeah you you kind of answered a question that I was going to ask which was uh, you know what what can people do you know to make the most of the time their time in grad school leading to their future uh, non-academic career and one of the things definitely is discuss either with people who are one year ahead of you or even like you said with your peers who may be having the same you know de maybe dealing with the same questions and may have different answers than than uh, than you that may that might interest you for sure for sure i mean um one of my roommates it, it doesn't even have to be in your department. I knew one of my roommates, he was in science, um, but he was in, you know, I was in neuroscience. He was in microbiology and immunology. And he ultimately did his PhD, but he'd always sort of kind of struggled all the way along. And do I want to stay in research and academia? Do I want to do something else? Is med school still a thing? Like, he had, you know, it was always kind of a couple of questions for him. And I mean, if we're good friends, we've always stayed in touch, but even just talking to him, I mean, he ultimately finished his PhD, but did not stay in academia. And um, him and his wife, who's also got his PhD, took a completely different path. And it's just talking to them, like, you know, I obviously went my path, but it was good to just sort of talk together about the opportunities outside of the academic world that are available to us. Um, you know, he's ultimately become um, sort of head of... Um, I'm ashamed to say I don't actually know his title, but he does a lot of the um, clinical microbiology work um, at Sunny Brook Hospital. So, you know, the, the people who, you know, when you get samples taken and tests done, they get sent to a lab. He's in charge of that lab that runs all the diagnostic tests for people. Um, and his, his wife also did her PhD in microbiology and immunology, became... Um, did a nursing degree, became a nurse practitioner, and now she does research and she teaches and she does nursing work um, all over southern Ontario. So people take different routes and it's it's just good to talk to your peers, both in your department and even amongst your friend group, um, because people will have different takes on what they want to do. And then you never know, it might be something that will interest you too. Uh, so for people who are, who are um, again, uh, finishing grad school, thinking of what comes next, and that may think, oh, uh, you know, um, I, I'm too specialized. Uh, employers won't be interested in me once I'm on the job market. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be hard convincing convincing them that uh, you know that I can be a good member of of their team. Um, how would you say going through grad school uh, uh, helped you uh, later on, or and and also law school, I guess, but but. You know, how did skills uh, that you that you uh, honed during your studies transfer to the job market, and how were they valued uh, either by your employers or, or by your peers? 
Um, so a couple of the like skills that I sort of honed in grad school um, that I think really came became important both in law school and um, when I was practicing um, that I think are unique to having been through grad school are things like discipline, um, accountability, um, and adaptability. Um, like for discipline, I mean, when you're writing your PhD or doing your master's, um, it's, you know, two to seven years of um, solid work, sort of doing research and um, running, you know, experiments and that, that may not always work, but you're all like, you have to come back to it and um, stick to your, stick to your gun. So I think there's an incredible amount of discipline that, you know, you may not realize when you're in grad school that I think is evident uh, just by virtue of completing a master's or PhD thesis that I think carries over to anything you want to do. Um, certainly, I feel like I'm a very disciplined worker. So I think that that came a lot from doing grad school work and you know also undergrad. But I, I think that has carried over very well. And I think that's something employers recognize, especially when they see um, you know, a, gra a graduate degree on a resume, because um, it does take a lot of dedication. Um, I think people have to give themselves props for that. Um, accountability, because for, for the same reason, I mean, at the end of the day, we all want to finish our thesis work, so we have to be accountable to going into the lab, doing the research, sifting through the research, interpreting it, coming up, you know, coming up with a story to tell with our thesis, I, you know, all of that kind of, at any time, you could you could just quit and move on to the next thing, but you have to be accountable to the work that you've done and in getting the work done. And, and I think that also comes through for employers when they're, you know, when they see that kind of uh, degree on a resume. Mm -hmm. Those are two very very good examples of of uh, things that you may ignore that you're uh, honing uh, as you go through grad school, but for sure those are major assets that you bring with you and that that will be very much appreciated, either by peers in teams that you'll be working on or by employers themselves. That's right. I mean, it's so easy to, whether you're in the working world or in the lab world, to be just like, Ugh, I'm just going to go home. <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, um, if you're driven and you've got, you know, you, you're driven with your research and you want to get things done and you want to tell us an interesting story with your research, um, you know, you have to, you have to power through. And I think, like I said, that's true at, in the working world. You could just be like, I'm just going to go home. <laughs> or you could take on the next project um, and, you know, really get into it and be interested in it and, you know, make an impression with people that you work with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, now I'm going to, I'm going to go into another segment that, that, uh, that always interests me, which has to do with, uh, you know, often in research, and especially in, the, in domains like like uh, the, the domain where we were, which was uh, neuroscience or cell biology, uh, you know, you can get uh, overwhelmed by by your experiments, and you can, in you know, sort of in a way, forget forget yourself in the process and over identify with your with your project and with your results, and uh, and um, drop the ball a little bit in taking care of of your me. And um, what, I, what I'd like to know is throughout uh, either grad school, but also law school, what habits uh, did, you, did you cultivate that, that helped you 
keep healthy, you know, keep your inner universe, let's say, uh, healthy and, uh, and, or resources, maybe resources uh, that your university offered that, that you may have used and that you may um, uh, advise people who are now in grad school or in law school that, that they use or, or, or habits that they may uh, gain by, um, by adopting. Um, it's a very, that's a very good question and an important one because as you say, I mean, in grad school, it is so easy to for, forget yourself and get wrapped up in your work. And I think that's also true sometimes in the professional world too, when you enter into the working world, it is just so easy to just get caught up with work and forget about, take care of yourself. Uh, truthfully, I have to say, this is a basic one that I'm sure everybody says is sleep make some time to sleep like it makes such a big difference um i didn't sleep a lot when i was in school um and i managed to be fine on that but you know there were a lot of things that i've noticed that since i get a little bit well these days i don't get much more sleep these days but um <laughs> when i have had the opportunity to get more sleep one thing that i do notice is just a lot of this, the stress and just being so anxious and uptight just kind of falls away when you just take the time to take care of yourself and get get some sleep. Um, it's just better to be refreshed. I think that's a very important one. Um, for me, it's just sort of also having, at least it's hard to make time to have a lot of extracurricular activities, um, but just at least having one or two. Um, for me, like I've wrapped my you know, being healthy and an interest of buying into one and that's that I run. Um, so even when I was in, um, even when I was in grad school, I ran, it would be one of these things where before I would come into the lab, I would, you know, take an hour and a half and just go for a run before I headed into lab. And it's one of these things that will clear your mind. Uh, for me, it clears my mind and it um, gives me a chance to sort of think about things other than work bench work or that kind of thing. And I've carried that through. Um, when I was in um, private practice, it was one of these things, I worked downtown and I would often work late, but it was a nice thing for me to do. I would just, you know, after everybody would leave, I had gym clothes in my office, I would just change and go, run out for an hour, go for a run and be able to uh, clear my head for an hour and give myself a break and get back to work if I needed to after that. Um, so that's kind of my tool is just to get outside and sort of be healthy and, and be active. Um, and it, it's basically, I, I don't have a ton of time for a lot of other um, sort of outside of work stuff. Um, but that's kind of the one that I sort of is my main way to take care of myself is, is to do that. Um, I, I think for most people, it's just getting outside of, you know, outside of your, outside of the library, outside of the lab, outside of the office, whichever that interests you, just make sure you take an hour for yourself to figure that out and, you know, eat properly and sleep properly. Get but my main takeaways on that. Yeah. Keep a, keep a healthy body. So exercise for sure. Uh, and a healthy mind. Uh, it sounds like for you, it's a type of a, of an active meditation. You're like running and, 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 uh, clearing up your, your mind at the same sure. time. <laughs> and for some people, it's something a little bit more transcendent. Like, you know, some people like to do yoga or whichever, or, you know, community work for other people. Like, I, yeah, definitely. Which it's whatever your interests are outside of, 
it's easy to forget that, but try and just take five minutes to think about what those are and maybe just pick up one or two things that interest you outside of your research or your professional life. Um, and, and take some time, you know, an hour every other day, even just to, to invest in that. Yeah. And again, on the aspect of, of forgetting about yourself, but in a different angle, um, you know, the, the, the feeling I get and, and the way I felt coming out of grad school, I wasn't really uh, aware. I wasn't really aware of uh, my worth to the, to the job market. And I, I didn't have too many skills uh, promoting, you know, to promote myself in that setting in the job market. I did uh, use some resources at McGill University uh, that had to do with uh, learning how to tailor a CV, uh, to, to write a, you know, a cover letter, etc. Um, I was wondering how you dealt with, with that, with that um, aspect of, okay, now, now I'm going to first law school, you know, and I, and, you know, I need to, to somehow become a good lawyer. And, and, uh, and I think a lot of, uh, you know, a big part of being a lawyer is presenting yourself well and, and promoting yourself well. Tell me if I, if I'm, if I'm wrong, but I, I feel that that's part of it. Did you have resources that you used? Was it something that came naturally to you? Um, it's a little bit of both. I think, um, I went about sort of the initial stuff, not unlike you did when I was in law school, there were resources available to us um, for preparing yourself for the job, job market, you know, so sort of the same sort of things, how to write a, a, a good CV, how to write, because legal resumes are a lot different than what I'd been used to, especially in a research world, what that resume looks like, because you would list all your publications and it's, you know, five pages long, um, a legal resume is two pages at most. <laughs> so, you know, that... Uh, and you often have to call all the experience, you know, you can't put all your experience down on two pages. You have to call and figure out mine, which one is the most important. Um, so there were a lot of resources about that and how to, how to tailor your CV, like how to interview properly, how to, how to sort of make your way through an interview, um, what you should wear. So there were a lot, lot of, I was, that's the nice thing to were fortunate. I was fortunate enough to have those resources available to me there. And that sort of gets you in, the door of having a job and and, and after that it, it kind of has for me at least has come kind of naturally it's talking to people who have either made a transition um from job a to job b um and just people's for me other people's experiences i'll never forget when i was interviewing to go in-house which means to go into a company rather than being at a law firm um one of my good friends and colleagues had said to me, I was nervous about an interview and I was just like, oh, I don't know. I'm just, I don't think I'm qualified enough. I just don't think I have the experience. Um, and she was just like, stop, you are the talent and you are the talent. Like you, you can do this. You are the talent. And I've always, that's just such a simple line that I've always carried through for every interview I've had. I, there is a little bit of drinking your own Kool-Aid when you are on the job market and trying to find a job. You have to believe in yourself and you have to just spend, if you're going to an interview, spend the night before and maybe the hour before looking at your resume and just sort of hyping yourself up and drinking your own Kool-Aid because you can do this. Like you are a, a lot more qualified and a lot more experienced than you think you are and you have a lot to offer these people. So you 
it, you you are the talent you can do this and you, I think that's probably one of the it's not something that they teach you in these you know if you go to CV writing or like job prep things it's just one of these things that has to come naturally that I think organically came from people I've talked to over time it's just believing in yourself and and interviewers and employers can tell when either you're not really super interested in a position or you don't really think that you're qualified enough for it like they, it's it's nothing that you it's just sort of one of these that's in the ether that they can pick up so if you come in with confidence and knowing believing in yourself and believing in the position as one that you're really interested in and that you can make a difference in employers see that and they that'll automatically interest them you them and you mm -hmm. so what I'm hearing, and tell tell me if I'm interpreting right, is do your homework on 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 the company and on the position that you want, and prepare and like practice to 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 um, present yourself as the best candidate for the position with the right arguments and with the confidence. So the, I, I guess confidence needs, especially for someone who might be a little bit more introverted, uh, mm -hmm. practice. I would say, right? That's right. Yeah, practice and like. Um... Yeah, practice. I mean, I am a little bit more of an introverted person. Like I was saying, I had that conversation with my friend where I was just like, I, I'm just not qualified. It, like, I just don't have, I'm too junior. I don't have enough. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not qualified. I'm probably not qualified for it. And um, people, I think you'd be surprised that the people that you work with and the people that you know have a completely different view of you. So, I, it is practicing and like maybe it's talking to people, you know, your, your support network, like they will hype you up and they believe in you and they'll see things about your accomplishments that you may not. So practice and talking to yourself and sort of, you know, hyping yourself up to it is, is a lot of it. I think it's important to do. Yeah. And, and it might feel like we're saying, uh, fake it till you make it. And I, I don't think it's the case. I think it... No, it's not. Yeah, I don't mean to sound like, you know, fake it till you make it. I, I think it's it's realizing um, your hidden potential and like what you bring to the table because, you know, everybody in grad school has got a lot to offer. Like you, you ha you're highly educated individuals. Like you bring a lot of... Um, skills and experience to the table um it's just um realizing that and 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 believing in yourself and i i, I guarantee you people will be interested in you because like i said you bring a lot to the table yeah yeah so again it's, it's, this this segues perfectly into the next uh, question that i wanted to ask and it feels like you you've had very good input and very useful input from people around you throughout uh, but what I wanted to ask you is, do you have people, you know, in this, in this path that brought you to your career today that you consider were your, your mentors? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I always have to like give credit where credit's due. I would not have ended up where I am right now without um, my professor who I first mentioned early. I mentioned him earlier on, Tim Kennedy. He was the one who sort of opened my eyes to this whole other path and, um, I think it's really said something. I mean, he was my professor. I mean, he had a vested interest in me staying to do my PhD with him uh, and and staying on that route. But he um, knew that I wasn't 
happy and that this wasn't going to be for me. And if I stayed to do my PhD, it would be four more years of me not being completely happy. So, you know, I have to, I have to thank him for that and for seeing that in me and believing me in enough to, to give me that, you know, this alternative and this out. Um, because I think that was huge. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for him. And I have to, he was a, a huge, huge inspiration for me, not just on that part, but I mean, also like something I've always looked for moving forward is that he really cultivated a great uh, work environment. Um, we have everybody that I did grad school with got along really well. We had a great lab. Um, and that's something it just made going to work, or I mean, it's weird to think of going to grad school as work, but going into the lab every day enjoyable and it's something I've always looked for um, everywhere since because this is where you're going to spend most of your waking hours you might as well enjoy it <laughs> and enjoy who you're with you know and, and kind of think of them as your second family so I've, I've always held that and even for you know I have people working with me on my team um, I like to cultivate the same environment which is you know not to be standoffish and you know at arm's length um but to make it a sort of collegial environment where people want to come into work and want to work for you so um he's been i mean he's been a huge inspiration for that i mean and once i've been in the professional world it's mostly just been a collection of, of people i don't have a set mentor but um i'm in a male dominated profession um so it's been a lot of um, my relationships with other female lawyers um, who are either my year call or older, um, with or without children, um, and we all sort of face the same issues and how do you be, you know, a female leader in your field um, that's male dominated and, and it's just looking to them for inspiration and how they manage their families and their practice and being in this world with um, you know, being with them. So it's just a collection collection of people like that, if that makes sense. So, Tamara, it, it seems to me that you had uh, you had very, and you still have very inspiring mentors or people that, that you look up to, and um, especially in your domain and, and being, a, being a woman doing what you do. Um, and what I'd like to, uh, to ask of you is, you know, if you think of, uh, of all the women either finishing grad school and thinking of going into the job market uh, or finishing law school and, uh, and, you know, starting to be a lawyer, I would like to know if you have, uh, if you'd have some, uh, some inspiration to, to share with them, uh, maybe based on these mentors uh, that, that have inspired you uh, in your path. Yeah, so I, I, for women coming coming into the workforce, like I would I would say that you know I I have said that I'm in a male dominated profession, but I think that is uh, changing a lot. There are a lot of opportunities for women, and I I think the fields are changing significantly. So I, you know, there have been many times where I've been in a practice group where it's majority women, or I walk into uh, you know a, a big meeting, you know across departments and it'll be a board boardroom full of women with like one or two guys um and i think that's really inspiring and i think that it's evidence that sort of the landscape is changing and that women are getting these opportunities and showing that these opportunities are available to them and that you know we're able to we're able to run business <laughs> um and i think that that's that's changing even in a male-dominated field i mean even though um 
you know, sometimes those issues may bubble up. I can't say that it's a concern that I have on the daily. It's not one that I, I constantly think about. So I think, you know, my message there is that it's, it's changing and that it's not, it, sh- it shouldn't be one of these things because there are a lot of inspiring women out there and there are a lot of women um, in all sorts of positions, all the way up to upper management who, um, you know, are able to run the show, man, and, and, and do things really well. So I think, yeah, my message there is that that not be a concern and that it, there are there is a lot of inspiration out there and a lot of mentors out there that you can take advantage of. Excellent. And just to be clear, uh, women that, that uh, apart from being excellent at, at what they do and running the show, like, like you said, also uh, are able to have a healthy family life. Uh, yes, absolutely. Like there's been a lot of discussion on whether you can you can have it all. And, and I, I do think it's possible that you can you can have it all um, and, and, and make the most out of your, you know, excel both professionally and personally and, you know, with your families. Excellent. Awesome. Uh, it's uh, I think it's it's very good of you to to share that with our audience uh, because I, I think everyone uh, deserves to to be confident that they'll have uh, uh, opportunities to to thrive in whichever career they choose. Absolutely. So Tamara, we're getting to my last question, which is kind of summing up of all we said and 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 kind of a distilling of of your experience up till today in a, in the, the following way. Uh, that you imagine that you're in, in a, in a, you know, in a in a conference room, uh, full of young finalists or young graduates, just like you when you're finishing grad school or law school, you know, and they're they may have fears, they may have uh, doubts, uh, or they may even have some obstacles in front of them that uh, that they need to you know that they need to surpass. And uh, what I'd like you to do is to share with them, you know, two or three basic strategies or principles that they could follow starting today to put in place a realistic and an attainable transition project into their career of choice. Sure. So um, I guess my first piece of advice would be um, seek opportunities that pop up and interest you. Um, even if they don't fit neatly into the path you think you're supposed, I'm supposed to using quotation, air quotes, supposed to fall on. Um, if it's interesting to you, pick it up. At the very least, it's nothing. You've learned that it's not your cup of tea um, and it isn't for you. And at the very most, you could love it and it could, you could be really good at it and it could lead to an exciting career opportunity or, um, you know, like a volunteer or extracurricular uh, opportunity for you. You just never know what's going to be out there unless you take the plunge. Um, and you know, like I said, it doesn't have to be something that neatly fits on like a predetermined path that you think you're supposed to follow, which kind of leads nicely into my second point, which is, um, you know, going back to that whole take the plunge thing, which is, um, you know, embrace the uncertainty. I mentioned it before. Um, I've had four or five career whiplash moments. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, I've talked a lot about it. I certainly was terrified when I was doing all of those career choice, you know, whiplash moments where I took a big plunge. Um, but like, you know, in hindsight, like even if it doesn't work out, you know, like not the fear of the unknown and it not working out, like even if it doesn't work out, it's going to be, I have the benefit of hindsight in saying this, but it's going to be all right. Like I mentioned, you know, you guys are all marketable individuals. You're all highly qualified. You bring a lot to the table. 
if an opportunity doesn't pan out, it, there will be another one. And, you know, it, you, eventually you will find something that works for you. It might be a gradual process or whichever, but you won't know unless you embrace that uncertainty and take a plunge, uh, which I think leads to my next one, which, you know, these threads have kind of come up throughout our conversation, which is uh, to go back to the advice I was given, you are the talent, like you, ha you have to drink your own Kool-Aid and you have to sort of hype yourself up. Um, it's really important to believe in yourself. And like I sort of mentioned earlier, um, employers can tell when you, you know, you're feeling yourself and you, that you got the confidence to take on this new endeavor. So um, be interested in what you're applying for and what you want to do um, and believe in yourself. Excellent. So curiosity uh, about, uh, about careers and, and, uh, you know, having a habit of looking into things that might interest you. That's what, that's the first thing that I get. Then a sense of adventure, meaning, you know, don't, don't be afraid to take a plunge because, you know, nothing is, is nothing is final. You can try something and then decide that it's not for you and try something else. That's right. And, uh, and then believe in yourself. And I think those are really three very, very good uh, axes that, uh, that if people uh, cultivate, for sure, their transition will go uh, will go smoother, and they they won't um, they won't react so negatively to failure. Failure is part of uh, of advancement. Uh, I, I agree totally, and uh, and I think it's it's very very good advice, Tamara. Yeah, thank you, Tamara. Th this is the end of our interview. Thank you so much for having accepted my invitation. Uh, I I'm super happy to be able to share your story and your insights with uh, our audience. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you so much for, for having me and giving me the opportunity to chat. It's uh, it's something I think that's that's really important. Um, you know, we were sort of talking earlier. I remember being at this time in my life and being terrified. You know, I have the benefit of 12 years of time to sort of gloss over that. But, you know, I do remember that time being um, a really uncertain one and, you know, being really stressful. So I think it is important to hear from other people um, that have sort of come out on the other side that um, there is life after grad school, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. And, and I'm sure people listening to, to what you had to say, uh, that this is going to, this is going to help them feel that they're not so lost and, uh, and see that um, they are going to have uh, possibilities and they are going to have a fulfilling career after, after grad school for sure. So thanks again. Thank and, you. Uh, and uh, let's talk again sometime. For sure. Awesome. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.